When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the 12th episode of Kiwi and the Bird Book Nerds in Session. I'm Taylor. I'm Kami. And in this episode, we're going to go into an in-depth discussion about the action-packed and super Renegades by Marissa Meyer. Now, as we discuss everything, and I mean everything, this is your one and only spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. Kami, would you like to give us a spoiler alert sound effect? I, I can definitely do that. <clears throat> A spoiler is ahead of you, and this is your one and only alert. And now, on to the show. So Renegades first starts out with detailing a little bit about the Age of Anarchy, which is this period of time that we don't get to see in the book, but that is referenced a lot, where Ace Anarchy basically revolutionized the world by giving superheroes a chance to unveil themselves. It was kind of like the revolution of prodigies who were scorned for what they could do. And then we swing into the scene where it's Nova as a child and she's inventing this little elevator with syringes. And that's where we meet her mom, her dad, and then her baby sister. And we also get a taste of her abilities. Uh, she has the ability to put people to sleep, which she does on her baby sister when she cries too much. What I really liked about that intro was the way that she kind of prefaced the politics in that would go throughout the whole series and that the difference between the anarchists and the renegades. And I like how... Even in the the very beginning, you can see that Ace Anarchy, while he's seen as this big villain, all he wanted was to free the prodigies, basically. And the tension builds up to, until there's a knock at the door, and ultimately, a guy comes inside, shoots her mom and her father, and then shoots her baby sister. And Nova's hiding at the time, but she comes out, and before the guy can shoot her she puts him to sleep. And that's when Ace, her uncle, finds her. And that's where he saves her and then integrates her into the anarchists. It's interesting, though, because with the prologue, like you said, they've built Ace up to be this villain. But then in Nova's eyes in that moment, she sees him as the ultimate hero. Because the renegades were supposed to be protecting Nova's family at that time. But her parents were just killed and they weren't there. They didn't come save her. It was her uncle in the end who did. So it was interesting to have that start because it shows exactly why Nova's allegiance lies where it does. She did, Marissa Meyer did a really good job of, of establishing her setting and her characters in those first 20 pages. Um, you really, like, you really felt for Nova in the way that she wrote um, her family being killed and like her guilt that comes along with it that's gonna stay with her and you see like you kind of figure out oh Ace Anarchy is her uncle 
at that point. It was just kind of like, oh, there's this guy. His name's Ace Anarchy, but she just called him Uncle Alec until that point. Right? And then he comes and he saves her. And then he shoots the guy dead. And that's the end of, like, the introduction or the prologue. And then you go into the main story. But, like, the way that it was paced, the way that it was written... And it was just, I feel like it was a, one of the best introductions I've seen in YA. What I liked a lot about it is that you kind of expect that, yeah, this hitman will come into her house and shoot her parents, right? But you assume that, of course, her baby sister, she's going to save her baby sister and that they're going to be okay somehow. And so when the hitman ends up killing her baby sister... I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> you were like, oh, <laughs> oh no. I, I, it, it shocked me so much because I think Marissa Meyer took that expectation and she switched it where you go, oh, holy crap. This guy isn't playing around and how is Nova going to get out of this? And when we, when Ace was introduced and we learned that he was actually Ace Anarchy, I actually felt a lot of respect and love for him. And it was very interesting. Like, I don't often get that with characters, but... When he came in and he saved Nova and he picked her up and he took her away. I don't know. There was just a lot of warmth. Like, I felt what Nova felt where she goes, wow, this guy has saved me. I love him and respect him. I would do anything for my uncle. I will say it also established the feel of the book really, really well. Yeah, you immediately get the sense of this really bloody history of the time of a the age of anarchy and you get the sense of this crumbling city and the chaos that's kind of going on and the difference between the villains and the superheroes the supposed villains and superheroes Ooh. oh but then in the next chapter it was so sad when they go oh ace died oh yeah and, and Nova is alone. Obviously, she's with the an other anarchists. But you go, oh, how did the ace die? Actually, though, I was like, if there's no body, he ain't dead. <laughs> <laughs> like, you felt for him. And then in the next page is, he died. Is he alive? Question mark. Is he living under a cathedral? Question mark. Is he really, really skinny and have like has, like, no powers right now? <laughs> Question mark. Does he even want to be alive? Question mark. <laughs> is he the same person that he always was? Question mark. Is he evil? Question mark. Or is he chill? Question mark. The world may never know. They <laughs> may never know. So after the introduction, we dive into the main story where we see Nova on a mission trying to kill the leader of the renegades, Captain Chromium. And while Nova is navigating the crowds, uh, she stumbles upon a certain individual named Adrian. Is he hot? Uh -huh. Yeah. Does he have glasses? Uh-huh. Does he always have a marker on hand? Yep. Just how I like them. <laughs> <laughs> but when Nova's bracelet is stolen... He returns it back to her and he fixes the broken clasp with a little of his pen. And she's like, oh, here comes another hero. Kind of hot, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> I like, no, that's like, side note. <laughs> that's one of my favorite things about Nova is that she knows that she knows that he's hot, but she just constantly denies it. 
but almost instantly, I'd say they kind of have that instant connection. Kind of almost like love at first sight, I'd say. Or not exactly love, but just that we know we're going to end up together. It was like attraction at first sight. Like The Bachelor, but successful. Not The Bachelor, because that sucks. <laughs> and after that brief encounter, Nova kind of gets back into the moment and she gets herself set up on a ledge and she's ready to take aim to fire and kill Captain Chromium, hopefully. And she kind of has a brief moment of pause where I think it's a theme throughout the story where she has this doubt if she'll ever be able to pull the trigger. Like if she'll ever be able to truly commit herself to this cause of not necessarily being an anarchist, but to doing what needs to be done. And she has that hesitation in the beginning and that causes her to miss the shot. It hits Captain Cronium in the temple. Which also though, with the plan to hit him with a poison dart, I feel like that would still work even after the attempted assassination. I'm like, just try again. <laughs> I, I think it would work. I think she only had one dart. Cyanide could just make another dart though, couldn't he? Maybe. But I feel, but see, I think the reason why she had to do it in one shot is that he had to be caught unaware. Because if he knew what was going to happen, he was pulling on like glasses or something. <laughs> but he didn't. That's what I'm saying. Let's go round two. Let's Actually, it's funny because I really like Captain Cronium. And I'm like, try again. Come on. <laughs> Don't be sorry. Be better. <laughs> but I feel like he'd be more on guard, you know? And since the he his eyes... a lot more now. <laughs> yeah. Just be like, what? You can't get me. What? He's like, just trying to shoot me. Everyone on the streets. <laughs> but I think, um, I think a reason why... Uh, Nova can't pull the trigger is that whenever like she thinks of a gun I mean she's gonna think of when her parents died and the bang 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 which I mean that's reasonable fair yeah I'm just, yeah I, I get it mm-hmm. but I think the parade scene also did well to further establish the difference between the anarchists and the renegades and society's views on them especially when they have like the villain float that people throw food at and then you have the council like the leaders of the renegade they have their own like giant thing where they're all like oh hello princess wave thing you know (laughs) but when nova fires that shot it then makes everyone aware that there was an assassination attempt and immediately a bunch of renegade forces are sent to nova's position and attempts to apprehend this person who obviously just tried to kill a very important figurehead in this community And that's where we meet Ruby and Oscar, as well as, I don't know if it's Dana or Dana. I, it was Dana in my head. So if it's Dana, I'm really sorry. The double N makes me think it's Dana, but I could be wrong. I'm assuming you're right because I'm always wrong when it comes to names. But anyways, we meet Dana, Oscar, and Ruby, and we get a taste of their abilities. So Ruby has the cool, uh, jeweled blood spikes. Where she basically can make ruby-like crystals. From her blood. From her blood. And then Oscar, aka Smokescreen, has quite literally the ability of a smokescreen. He makes smoke, apparently, in different colors. And Dana has the power to transform into a swarm of butterflies. Which, when you first hear that, you go, oh, okay. Scary. Yeah, whatever. Woo! Butterflies. <laughs> what? 
That's my greatest nightmare. <laughs> but I think Mercer Meyer did a really cool twist on that where you see that actually really is effective and it could be seen as dangerous. Like it's really good for surveillance and for traveling and for stuff like that. So they confront Nova and they try to take her out. And one by one, Nova shows them who's boss. Yeah. And then that's where we first meet the Sentinel. And he tries to stop Nova. And basically anything the Sentinel does, I see as hot. Like he came into the scene and I was like, whew. Because he, he, he has a very hot image in that he has this like suit right? This black suit. And, you know, the Sentinel's described as this taller, more bulky figure. Robust. And he has his helmet, right? That has his visor that covers his face. Which, if it's anything like a motorcycle helmet, it's gotta be hot, right? I imagined it hotter because it wouldn't have, like, that thing right here. Yeah. yeah. It would just be, like, this visor that, like, covers his face. Kind of like the cover. I kind of imagined it like this. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think uh, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And then you see the Sentinel and that he has multiple powers. You know, he has a power of jumping. <laughs> but like super yeah, jumping. Like, like, like great, like kind of like Wonder Woman and Justice League kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he also has a power of fire. And so you see him and he's trying to catch Nightmare, a.k.a. Nova. They fight. There's, there's a little scene where you're like, ooh, tension. Tension. I mean, are they fighting or... I don't know. I mean... <laughs> she punches him. <laughs> and basically, Nightmare gets away because in comes Winston Pratt, a.k.a. the puppeteer with his hot air balloon and he's taking control of children and it basically goes to chaos. Winston's powers kind of crack me up because again you don't kind of like with the butterflies you don't initially think of it as that alarming like oh okay this guy takes control of kids so they can play tic-tac-toe infinitely (laughs) right but then he uses the children to create chaos and they almost escape that distraction almost allows them to leave Mm -hmm. until Nova realizes that with both of their weight the hot air balloon can't support itself and it's been shot as well it's been damaged Mm -hmm. and so For them to escape, she'll either have to give up her gun or find another way to alleviate the weight. And I personally like the way she chose. She threw the puppeteer off of his own hot air balloon. Yeah. She commandeered that ship. (laughs) She was basically like, ooh, let's see. All of my inventions that took me a really long time to make or a guy who's technically on my team. Hmm. The guy on my team. Yeah, you gotta go. (laughs) And so they take Winston in and Nova ultimately escapes. I think this scene does well to establish a lot. Like you said, it establishes the superheroes, the villains. Like, you you hear a lot of names in this scene, which when I first read it, it took me a little bit to kind of figure out which name, which powers. But you get to see Captain Cronium, Dread Warden, Tsunami, Blacklight... You get to see the anarchists like Detonator, Puppeteer. You get to hear about other ones like Cyanide and Queen Bee and such. And I think it's a really fun opening scene too. It's very superhero-ish. It is very superhero-ish. I mean, you establish like the connection, the attraction between Nova and Adrian. 
you establish what the society's views on the villains, the superheroes. You are introduced to a number of characters and their powers. And you just kind of like get the feel of what the rest of the book is like. I particularly like the fight because I like seeing how everyone's different abilities affect battle. Like how it changes the landscape. And I thought it would be really cool to see that in a movie. You know, I think each power was so vivid that it would be really fun to watch that live action. But I think that Mercer did really well to even just translate those actions and getting across that imagery of everyone's different abilities and how they have to react and battle and defend and strike, parry, <laughs> side block, duck, roll over, <laughs> stop, drop. Roll. <laughs> I think one of my favorite things about that scene was Nightmare slash Nova. Um, and just kind of seeing how she doesn't just use her power. She has all of her inventions, like her mask that she wears to cover the bottom half of her face. Right? And she has her stun gun and her suction cup things. But she also knows like a lot of martial arts, which is what she utilizes. Yes! <laughs> what she use, utilizes in this battle. Like, she does end up using her power of putting people to sleep. But it's not like that's, like, the first thing that she uses. It's not her go-to. It's kind of more of, like, a backup. Yeah. But, again, even with Nova's power, and I know I've said this a few times, but, again, I really like how Marissa Meyer spins things. Because when you think, oh, this person has the power to put people to sleep. So what? Uh, I could use that every night. But then you see in battle and you see Nova knock the Sentinel flat on his back. He's out cold with one single touch. And you go, oh, I would really like this at night. <laughs> but again, you get to see that lethality, the unexpected danger that comes along with this superpower. After the parade... Nova returns to where her and the anarchists have holed up in the tunnels underneath the train station on the outskirts of Gatlin City. And it's there where we get a better taste of her team. So there's, she, she's Nightmare, but there's also the Detonator, Phobia, the Puppeteer, Queen Bee, and Cyanide. And, and Kimmy and I discussed this a little bit when we were recording, but I think the names Mercer Ride chose are really cool. They are cool. They're very unique. They're very... Unexpected. Very comic book-like. Yeah. Super original, and and I think they really add to the world and to the characters themselves. I think Marissa Meyer did really well in creating the characters to kind of look like their personalities. Mm-hmm. Like, they were very um, in sync, the image with the personality. Yes. Also, too, you get a good taste of... The anarchist values. It's actually very interesting because they're small in numbers. I mean, it really is only this group that is the rest that acts as the rest of the anarchists, the legacy of Ace Anarchy. And yet they all have this mentality of every man for himself, which you would think in a really small group that you would hold on to your people even more. But when Nova brings up, hey, you know, Winston got captured. They all don't really seem to care. It's not like they plan a rescue mission. It's not like they show really any remorse. It's just, oh, he got captured. We got to keep moving. Yeah, it's just kind of like the strong survive, the weak will die. Yeah. Kind of thing. And it's interesting because these people have been living together for years. 
I mean, this group has stayed this group for all of Nova's life. So what? Nova was brought in at six. Mm-hmm. Has it been 10 or 11 years? 10. 10 years? Yes. I mean, that's a long time to spend with a group of people and then just to pass off, oh, Winston got captured. Who cares? Mm-hmm. It was, it could be... It was interesting because you can see that Nova has attachments to these people, but I wonder if she would go and try to save, say, like, Leroy if he was captured. Well, it's weird because it's like she has attachments to them, but then she doesn't because she recollects all these moments she had with Winston as a child because he played with her a lot when she was a kid. And yet she doesn't have that really burning desire, oh, I got to do anything I can to get him back. Yeah. It's an it's an interesting mentality for a band of misfits to have. And I mean they do missions together. I mean like the one with Nova trying to kill Captain Chromium, she did with Phobia and Detonator. But I mean also how can you trust them? Yeah. Because no one has your back. No one. You're on your own. So even though, yeah, she had that support, it wasn't really support. If Nova had gotten captured for trying to assassinate Captain Cronium, they wouldn't have done anything. They wouldn't have. And I mean, I guess there is, like, strength in having to do things by yourself. But there's also strength in numbers. And when you're trying to take on an entire renegade force, those numbers are probably important. Probably. Yeah. But with the anarchists, I really like the idea of this group of misfits having to raise Nova. Yeah. I like the idea that she grew up under all of these people, you know, Queen being her exaggeratedness and detonate her and her cool temperament and Leroy and his kind of kind uncle-likeness. Like, I kind of picture as, like, the fun uncle, mm-hmm. but with explosions and acid. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting to see what aspects of Nova came from the anarchists. Because she kind of pulled a trait from each one of them. A little bit, yeah. Except maybe Queen Bee. No, she still, she learned how to be ladylike and everything. She just didn't like to do it. Same. Yeah. (laughs) With the anarchists, too, you also get to see their powers. Or, like, a hint of, like, what their powers could be. When Nova goes in and, like, kind of, like, talks to all of them. So, like... Queen Bee can control bees and wasps and hornets, etc. And Cyanide can basically make chemicals from his body. Um, Detonator can make these blue orbs that are basically bombs. Do you want to know how I imagined them? You know in Shrek 2, the potion scene? No. Remember, I haven't seen Shrek 2. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen it since I was like a kid. Wait, what? Oh, Oh, mm-hmm. well, they go into this room and it has a bunch of potions on the wall mm-hmm. and they grab one and it's blue and it's kind of shaped like an old fashioned bomb, mm-hmm. but it's glass and, it, and that's how I pictured her bombs. <laughs> <laughs> and like phobia is this, he basically can see what your greatest fear is and exploit it. And I, we've mentioned this before, but they're like the superpowers in this book are just so unique and they're so... You wouldn't think so, but they're very attuned to the characters' personalities as well. It's not that their superpowers are just something that they use. It's very much their identity. Their identity actually gave birth to their superpowers. Yeah, it's like, there's like some mention of this in the book, but only like 28% of prodigies are born with their abilities. 
a lot of what happened, a lot of how prodigies come to be is through certain traumas. Cyanide, you know, was bullied in high school and there was an incident in the chemistry lab, which is really sad. Like Queen Bee, she was on a farm and a thing, hive of bees <laughs> fell down on her and she was covered in bees, etc., etc. So it was interesting to see how their powers kind of attributed to become who they are. And just like the, the, just the sheer uniqueness of them. I mean, when you think of someone being able to control bees, do you automatically think villain? No. But when you hear wasps, you go, oh, yeah, oh, that's a villain. Yeah, right there. <laughs> and I mean, like, they're, they're, it's, it's a little, there's some, like, the detonator. That's a bit more, like, obvious, you know, like, destruction and, like, phobias. Like, yeah, you're exploiting your greatest fear would be considered evil. But then, I mean, you also look at the renegades, right? You looked at Captain Chromium with his almost invincibility and his chromium skim and his ability to manipulate chromium. Am I saying that right? Chromium. Chromium or chromium? Because it's cro... What? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, it's chromium? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was chromium. Not meum. It's an M. Chromium. We're just going to say it really fast and people (laughs) His ability to manipulate chromium. (laughs) <laughs> well, so he can generate chromium. He can generate? Yeah, he can gem- generate chromium weaponry. But I don't know if he, he can manipulate. Is it I, like, I think he's oh, like, I'm going to go for my skin. <laughs> Spear. <laughs> oh, that's actually cool. That, yeah, yeah. I think I took that from um, <laughs> Fantastic Four and the Silver <laughs> Surfer. And you have, like, the Dread Warden with his invisibility. Like, the, there are some... Like, the invisibility, like, it's like, oh, that's, like, probably, like, a common one, right? But then you have, like, Tsunami, who was born with wings. Not her. Thunderbird. <laughs> Thunderbird, who was born with wings and the ability to fly. And I think she also has, what, um, lightning? Generates thunder and lightning. Mm-hmm. But then you have, like, Blacklight. You wouldn't think of him as, like, the leader of the Renegades, you know? Oh, I can manipulate light. <laughs> I can throw away a rave at any second. <laughs> like, you you don't think of him as like, oh, yeah, he's going to be a great superhero. But he is. I love how he always has to light every scene. <laughs> like, he's always like, let's get ready to party! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> but, yeah, I just... The powers are unexpected. And there are cool twists. Because we've seen a lot of superpowers by now. I yes. mean, growing up, all the comic books and MCU and DECU. Is it D- DCU? DCU? DCU. Maybe E for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but I was really excited when I saw these powers because they just were unexpected. Mm-hmm. And I'm inviting Blacklight to my next party. Oh, it's just see. me eating a cookie. He's like, woo! <laughs> now, the question is, though... Which superpower would you want out of the ones that we've mentioned? I'm probably going to say nightmares. Nightmares? Yeah. I'd probably choose hers, too. Just to put my... Can she put herself to sleep? I was literally <laughs> wondering. I was like, if I had nightmares powers, could I put... Because <laughs> my sleep schedule would be so great and so, like, regular. Also, I'd put people to sleep so much, I'd be like, uh, me. <laughs> be like... 
Are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? Oh, well, you don't deserve to be awake. <laughs> the main reason I would want Nova's power, actually, isn't necessarily putting people to sleep, even though it's really cool. But, I mean, I'm I'm an ordinary girl. I mean, I, I wouldn't have to really use that unless if I just didn't like someone. <laughs> I would love to never have to sleep. I could get oh, so much done. I would not. <laughs> I forgot about that one. Um, I would not want to not sleep. <laughs> oh, I'm totally down with it. I keep me up it. all day. Here's the thing. I love sleeping. Being awake is just so tiring. <laughs> okay. And I mean, I have weird dreams. I admit it. But sometimes they're okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd much rather be in my little dream world than than reality. Reality kind of sucks, and living is expensive. So, in conclusion, I like sleeping. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, opposing the anarchists, we of course have the renegades, which is Captain Cronium's team, as well as Adrian's team. And what I think was really smart of Marissa Meyer was that she didn't make the renegades or the anarchists unlikable, which gives the story that much more intensity and power because you actually don't want to see either group fall or get hurt or for one of them to be defeated. With the renegades, I really loved Adrian's dads. I loved the Dread Warden, aka Simon, and Captain Cronium, aka Hugh, so much. Because through Adrian's eyes, you see how much they're having to deal with and the stress of trying to create a new society, of trying to create a society that's fair and lawful and one that can give freedom but also doesn't create chaos. And I thought they were really good dads to Adrian and I thought they tried their hardest to be good dads. But at the same time, you also see where they unintentionally fall short because they just have so much going on, it's impossible for them to balance all that they have to. But I also loved meeting Tsunami and Thunderbird and Blacklight and their different personalities and once more how their powers reflect their personalities. And even in Adrian's team, I loved Oscar and Ruby's little romance blossoming, possibly unrequited, but not, question mark? Mutual, question mark? Is it just friendship, question mark? Is it more, question mark? And I loved Dana's intelligence. She always seems to be aware of everything. She's very observant of everything that's going on. And so even though we don't get a lot of her in this book because she's taken out after having been injured by the Sentinel, we still get that sense of she loves this group of people and she feels close to her friends and would do anything for them. I agree that I, I really liked the fact that both sides were really likable. And I think that just went really well with the whole politics of both the renegades and the anarchists. Simply because through Adrian's eyes, you saw the renegades. You know, you saw them as humans, right? You didn't see them as like these superheroes on these pedestals. And through Nova's eyes, you saw the anarchists. They weren't just like these villains who were up to no good who were only evil like they had purposes they had beliefs they had personalities and i think that so plays into what the story was about was like the renegades versus the anarchists and who's right and who's wrong who's gonna be the one who's gonna come out in the end right like the 
anarchists were considered the bad guys, but all they really wanted was for prodigies to be free, to not have the renegades, the council, right? Just five people kind of dictate what's going to happen to the city of people. Because one of Nova's biggest problems was that the council was the one deciding everything, not the people. She wanted the people to be able to create the laws and to be able to recreate the society rather than, like you said, just five people controlling and trying to rebuild everything. Mm-hmm. And then you have the renegades who are the good guys, supposedly. Except you see, like you just said, the the fact that there are only five people in charge of everything. But then you also meet other renegade teams like Janissa Clark's aka Frostbite and how they kind of take being renegades to an elitist side of thinking that they're better and that they don't really show humanity towards anarchists or people against the renegades. So like you see it's not just like black and white there's a lot of gray area. But I think I also loved the fact that the story was told through Nova's and Adrian's eyes. There was a lot of, there was a very big theme of everything you see may not what it may not be what it seems. What it is. <laughs> <laughs> everything you see isn't everything it could be. There's more to both sides. Exactly, and you saw that with Nova being Nightmare. You saw that with Adrian being the Sentinel. You saw that. Even though the renegades are trying to do good, they're maybe doing harm. You see that the anarchists are trying to do good, but maybe they're not going about it with the best methods, et cetera, et cetera. So I just really loved how realistic the politics were, how it was portrayed throughout the book. It's nice to see that it's not clear cut. Yeah, I think the dilemmas in this book is a part of what made it so interesting and so easily devourable, which I don't know if devourable is a word. It is now. It is now. That's all that matters. You don't know what's right and wrong. And and you see how both sides are fighting for something right. Like, it is fair for the anarchists to fight for freedom. And it is fair for the renegades to fight for order. Because on the renegade side, there were just these untamed prodigies ruining the world. Under the age of anarchy, cities were crumbling, gangs were ruling the world. Things weren't good. There wasn't any way for people to live to be successful. There wasn't any way for them to grow. So of course, through that, the renegades are going to go, of course, we need order. We need a framework for people to work in so that we can actually build rather than just destroy. But then at the same time, on the anarchist side, you see that they they want freedom. And it's not that they necessarily don't want order, but they just want the ability to choose, I would say. They don't want to have their life be determined by anything else other than what they want. It was nice to see the logic on both sides. You could honestly defend either side and you'd have you would have a valid argument either way. And it's also interesting too because I feel like Nova Obviously, she had the morals of, I want prodigies to have freedom. But she often reflected the renegade attitude. And Adrian often reflected the anarchist attitude. Because Adrian wanted to work outside the law because he didn't believe the law could get done what needed to be done. And Nova kind of wanted that sense of 
community of togetherness and loyalty to build something. Not saying Adrian wanted to destroy, but like she she didn't reflect the anarchist ideas of, oh, the strong will survive, loyalty doesn't matter sort of thing. Like I think she wanted people to work together. I think that was actually the brilliance of the characters was simply that they kind of meshed together the beliefs of these differing sides. So this book has two points of view. One is Nova's and the second is Adrian's. And so the first time that we go into Adrian's point of view, he wakes up from the attack from Nightmare in which we discover, oh, Adrian Everhart is a sentinel. As if he could ever get hotter. Right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we basically just see him in this first scene in his point of view, how kind of how like his power works and like how he got to be the sentinel a little bit. Like he he has like the zipper tattoo that he did and like his fire tattoo and like that's how he gets these these new powers is by He's taken just the ordinary aspects of being able to have his drawings come to life to a permanent way for him to create new superpowers which is super cool super smart yeah i would just be playing tic-tac-toe on myself all day <laughs> and then adrian goes back to renegade headquarters after stitching himself up because i think he was stabbed yeah i think nova stabbed him with red assassin's blade yes savage and then she touched its wound and put him asleep <laughs> extra savage oh she's kind of like batman <laughs> <laughs> think about it she has like all her little inventions and like she has her mask and she fights with like martial arts and leroy is like her alfred a little bit a little bit then you meet max and max is in this quarantine in the renegades headquarters and then you're like okay but why? Yeah, why is a 10-year-old in a glass box by himself? Oh, that's really sad. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> that just got me really sad. I just, like, realized, I just, like, the reality just hit me. But basically, you, you were introduced to Max Everhart, a.k.a. Adrian's adopted little brother. And when we're first introduced to Max, we actually don't know his power at all. All we know is that everyone who goes in is either in a hazmat suit or is Captain Cronium, who is somehow impervious to whatever Max's ability is. But we get the sense that Max's ability is what has is what has put him in quarantine. Mm-hmm. And later in the story, you figure out that Max is labeled um, the alias Bandit, and that he has the ability to steal other people's powers when they are in near proximity. And absorb them. And yeah, and he gets them himself. Which, okay, if if a 10-year-old kid took my powers, <laughs> I would be so freaking mad. I'd go give them back. <laughs> this is all I got. <laughs> Shut up. You don't even know what broccoli tastes like. <laughs> I, those are me. I, I would be seriously so mad, even though he's a nice kid. He's a precious kid. Um... Which then leads us to the knowledge that the Renegades destroyed Ace Anarchy, supposedly, by using Max to absorb Ace Anarchy's power. And and that story is really cool. I love the imagery, but I could just not handle the image of Hugh backpacking a little baby Max into the scene. 
That just gave me so much anxiety. Like, no, no. Like, Baby Yoda. <laughs> I kept thinking of Baby Yoda and, and, and Hugh carrying him into this battle scene and Baby Yoda Max siphoning all of Ace Anarchy's powers. I mean, imagine being thwarted by a baby. I, I understand. I understand the frustration. Yeah. <laughs> See, that, that just gives me anxiety because, you know, my sister just had a kid. Right? He's just the itty-bitty little boy. Okay? This dude's tiny. And I'm like, okay, so he's a baby. That means he's real small. You're just going to carry him on your back. Hey, that's terrible for his hips. Okay? <laughs> One. Two. I'm sorry. You couldn't think of another way to defeat Ace Anarchy without a baby? If a baby is the key ingredient to defeating a guy... Maybe rethink your plan a little. Also, that's so dangerous. This is a battlefield. You're going to backpack a baby into a battlefield? What the heck? (laughs) But literally the entire time I was reading it, I just literally thought Baby Yoda. He's being Baby Yoda'd into battle right now. Oh, I guess that's a pretty cool story to tell. I took out Ace Anarchy when I was Yeah, but he doesn't know, does he? Well, he can't tell people because... He's in a box. Yeah, he's in a box. himself. But, like, his story was, Max's story was so sad because we learned that he was born with his ability and that his parents were a part of a gang, the Roaches. Yeah, I believe it is the Roaches. Yes. Um, they were a part of a gang during the Age of Anarchy. And his parents, being prodigies themselves, are getting their powers taken because of Max. And so they threw him into a river. Off a bridge. Off a bridge. In which Captain Chromium was like, <gasps> the baby, the baby. <laughs> and so then they, him and Dread Warden went to go save him on their way to the battle to fight Ace Anarchy. And they go, oh, this is handy. Oh, handy mandy. Before we take this baby home, let's, uh, let's take out Ace Anarchy first. <laughs> Just poor Max, you know? Yeah, to be rejected as a baby just because you had a certain ability that, mm-hmm. I mean, that's harsh. And... I'm just, it's something that you can't even control. Like, it just happens. Yeah, and that's, I think that's the saddest part, is that Max has to be kept alone. He has to be kept quarantined because it isn't something he can control. It's not like a power he can turn on and off. He literally has to stay separate from people for a reason that he didn't even choose. The only person that he can touch is Captain Chromium. Can you imagine growing up not being able to touch anyone with not being able to have, like, any physical touch especially with your family i mean oh but i guess like non-prodigies well but hey nurse (laughs) (laughs) but like yeah like adrian can't like has never like hugged him or anything or he's literally just seen him on the other side of this glass Mm -hmm. which oh yeah that's sad but later in the story Nova stumbles upon Max levitating objects, which is how she comes to find out that he stole Ace Anarchy's powers. But when she sees him injure himself, she goes into the quarantine to try to save him. And immediately she's hit with just this wall of parasitic exhaustion where Max is slowly siphoning her powers and she's too weak to do anything about it. Which again, if a a child (laughs) stole my powers... Hands are going to be thrown. I I swear. (laughs) And 
Adrian ultimately uh, saves Nova, but it was crazy to see how powerful Max's abilities were in person, like in the in present in the story, to know that he can collapse people with just his sheer influence, with just his his nearness. presence. Yeah, that's power right there. Yeah, like you can't even be in my presence. I mean, a ten year old has more power <laughs> right now than anyone else in the city. Oh wow! Yeah, wow. Mm. <laughs> But, like, with that power, I mean, comes a great price. Because, I mean, he's lonely all the time. Yeah. People can He's just, like, in his little glass quarantine making Gatlin City in miniature. Yeah. He has to spend his time with glass. And there's no, like, TV or entertainment because that industry went down in the age of anarchy. Oh, I thought he did have a TV. Because that's how he saw it the news clip of Adrian as a sentinel. Oh, he has a TV, but there's not, like, a lot of entertainment. You no know? Spongebob. Right? No. I mean, th- you might have, like, really old video games, but, like... Have fun with your Atari. Yeah. <laughs> it would be really lonely. I mean, I think it's one thing to feel really lonely and solitary like that when you're adult, because at least, I don't know, I feel like you have... Like, you can deal with it, I feel like, better. But as a child... To not have the development of physical affection. So, so socialize socialization. Yeah, socializing and just human connection. I mean, he has human connection. He loves his brother and he loves his dads. But there's a difference between being in a glass box and being out of one. Yeah. But I also just loved him as a character, Max. It's just like this 10-year-old kid, you know. He's super powerful. Better not powerful. <laughs> <laughs> Better not. He's just a super powerful dude. And you know that he's going to be like, he's going to impact the story. You know he is. And it's just like, I liked the, the foreshadowing aspect of his character. And I liked the juxtaposition that even is his character. He's this small little kid with a great amount of strength and power. Enough that he was taken to battle as a baby and enough that he put the greatest anarchist of all time down so after the failure of the assassination attempt on captain chromium nova gets this idea from leroy to infiltrate the renegades so after getting the necessary false documentation nova Martino is now Nova McLean. And with that identity, she decides to try out to be a renegade, which entails that she has to basically perform in front of all the renegades until a group chooses her. A, a team chooses her. So we have like Adrian's team, Genesis team, and um, a ton of other people. And Nova at the time is running under the alias Insomnia. And she's no longer claiming that she can put people to sleep, only that she herself never has to sleep. She steps up and they're like, okay, what's your name? She's like, insomnia. It's like, what's your power? Like, I do not have to sleep. And the people are like, you don't have to sleep. What a great power. And they're basically underestimating her. And then Adrian, being the teenage boy that he is, is like, Oh, yeah, we, we, we should give her a chance. Yeah, like, let's look into this. 
<laughs> I think I think she deserves it. She 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 deserves to be on. Never our been team. able to sleep. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and so Agent basically he he doesn't even talk to his teammates. Okay, he's just basically like, yeah yeah, I want her on my team. Yeah. And the way that the trials go is that if one team wants a prodigy trying out to be a renegade, another team can refute that prodigy and kind of like challenge them, being like, I don't know if they are worthy of being worthy, a prodigy. Yeah. Worthy, worthy of being a renegade. And so when Adrian picks Nova to be on his team, Janessa Clark's team is like, we don't think that she's worthy of being a renegade. And so Nova's like, well, I'll fight one of you. Because, you know, she is who she is. Because that's just what cool people do. And then she chooses Gargoyle. Gargoyle. And what happens is pretty dang badass. She basically kicks his rubble behind. Without having, like, she didn't use her real power putting people to sleep. She literally just used her intelligence and her martial arts skills and a little cannon that Adrian drew. As well as her surroundings, like, mm-hmm. I believe, a banner. Mm-hmm. And she basically <clears throat> humiliated him in front of everyone. Because everyone kind of believed, oh, well, not being able to sleep, that's not really a superpower. But then she's like, well, is it a power now, jerks? <laughs> <laughs> I think, actually, one of my favorite parts about that scene is the fact that when Adrian chooses Nova and is like, oh, I want her on my team, Ruby's just kind of like, yeah, I can tell exactly what kind of feeling you have about her. And she's right. <laughs> she's absolutely right. Yeah, right, Adrian. Like, you would choose an, a prodigy that you weren't attracted to. Yeah, I mean, it just so happens to be the girl you met at the parade who you had an instant connection with. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but sure, her abilities are interesting. <laughs> I also think it was really interesting to see just, like, the beginnings of the trial and, like, the shortcomings of the renegades in that way. Mm-hmm. Especially since... um there were some people at the tryouts, like, there was this girl who could expand her head like a balloon. And she was rejected from being a renegade. And Nova's, like, sitting there thinking, okay, but why? Mm-hmm. You know, if she wants to be a renegade, why can't she be? And she's kind of disgusted by the spectacle that these trials have become. It's no longer really about anything pure or honorable. It's not about choosing renegades. It's about entertaining people who think they are above you basically and it's like why do you even have to try out why can't you just go up to the renegade headquarters and be like hey this is my power this is what i can do i want to join the renegades and like you don't even have to be able to fight like maybe you can just be like a desk person she i think she kind of thinks that isn't it enough for someone to be renegade if they just have the desire to be if they are willing to protect the city like a renegade should yeah, like, why Why do you need this super flashy power to be a renegade? And the fact, you know, I kind of, I absolutely agree with Nova on that point, especially since the council is the ones, are, like, they were there. They're the They're ones. sponsoring this. Basically. And I mean, shouldn't they know? I think, no, I think Nova actually points this out, too. She's like, if Blacklight had to come in and try out to be a renegade, there's no way he would have made it. <laughs> Roasted. <him. laughs> It's like, wouldn't they know that just someone's power isn't a defining feature of what they can do? And that their strength doesn't lie in just spectacle, in just garnishy talents. It's more so about what someone has on the inside that counts. Exactly. 
I also think it's really funny that Adrian didn't have the child to be a renegade. Because he was the son. He's the son of Lady Indomitable. He's the adopted son of Crapton Chromium. He even mentions, though, that he thinks that if he had to have tried out, he wouldn't have made it in. No, he wouldn't Based have. on this unfair criteria. And I thought that was really interesting that Adrian didn't like the trials either. Yeah. He recognized what they were. He still totally took advantage of it, though. Yeah. Yeah, her, yeah, sure, let's have her on our team. Yeah, I have a feeling about her. <laughs> it would be daunting to go against someone like a, like, gargoyle, though. Just this mountain of rock. It with would. With a mouth. Just, like, just the sheer mass of him <laughs> would be intimidating. Shake that mass. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that Noah had the confidence... She was like, yeah, I can beat him. One, that was super great. Because mm-hmm. you don't really see that a lot. You're like, in she, the heroine. She didn't have an ounce of doubt. Even in the fight, she wasn't like, oh, I'm going to lose this. No, she was like, I got this. She was like, and it, any doubt that she could have had, she'd be like, oh, this isn't working. What else can I do? Yeah, she was never defeated by her own doubts. No. I love when she realizes who Adrian is. Like, she was like, you look super familiar. Like, where is this dude from? And then, like, they say his name at the trial. And she's like, I'm sorry, what's your last name? She's like, <sighs> she's like this what happened. <laughs> that's where I've seen you. I just, like, that, 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 that little scene was just, I don't know why. I just really liked it. Yeah, because then it's like, oh, no, forbidden romance. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. Oh, don't die because of poison. <laughs> <laughs> the ever. Oh, it is like kind of Romeo and Juliet Because they're Cause Montague like, versus Capulet. Like Everhart versus Artino. Mm-hmm. And then you have like Sinai can be like the friar. <laughs> Oh, actually, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, um, who's and, Tybalt? Um, uh, Janessa. <laughs> Janessa's Tybalt. Um, uh, um, th- that's all I got. Yeah. I, I can't really remember anyone else. Overall, what did you think of the romantic subplot? The romantic subplot in Renegades was just, it was just so precious. You know, I think in the first book, it's definitely more like they're friends, if anything. They have a date at the end of the book, but it feels more like crush casual, if that makes sense. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But I think there's just something really sweet about Adrian and Nova. Actually, when I first read kind of the premise of the story, I kind of assumed they'd be more hard characters, if that makes sense. Like, they'd be really war-torn and, like, their past would really weigh down. Like, I don't know, like, not dark characters, but I assumed, like, they'd be heavy. But I feel like there was such a lightness in their relationship that I thought it was really sweet for both of them. I felt like both of them really needed that sweetness in their life. You know, with Nova... She's always kind of been alone, even though she's been surrounded by anarchists, they aren't really like family. They don't really give her that love that she needs. And then with Adrian, yeah, he has a bunch of friends and stuff, but he hasn't yet experienced romance either. So I liked that for each other, they were kind of like a safe space. They do have a certain will they, won't they 
kind of vibe going to them. I would say in terms of YA romance, it's more most definitely more slow build yeah. than a lot of them, which I really appreciate because slow build is the way to go in my personal Slow opinion. build is the way. And I don't, I liked that they kind of had a date, but it, like it wasn't an official date. It was crush casual, as you said. And I don't, it made you feel, the romance made you feel excited because it was just so, it was sweet. You could tell it was new for both of them, and so it was kind of fun to kind of be there with them, and you'd be like, hey, I'm here reading this. <laughs> it's like you kind of, like, got the butterflies with them. Yeah. It was it was cute. It was really cute. And you would, like, I, I especially liked it for Nova's character, because she is more of a, like, kind of like a badass, more stubborn, very, very determined. She, she I would say she's very sharp very edgy mm-hmm. right but in those moments where with adrian she just got very flustered mm-hmm. and she got kind of like softer and like appa- apparently adrian everhart was the only boy the only person who could do that to her and i'm like that's cute well that's fair because he's really hot and very kind and sweet i just, it's so hot <laughs> okay here's the thing here's the thing It's the romance just between Nova and Adrian, just, like, them as people, but then you also have, like, their alter egos, and the the tension between the Sentinel and Nova, and the tension between Nova and Adrian, I meant Nightmare and Adrian, and Nightmare and the Sentinel, you know, just, like, the whole, the, the idea of alter egos really adds to the romance. And I loved that in the first book they didn't know their alter egos because then it makes, like, an unintentional chemistry, almost, when they are in their aliases and they're interacting, like the library scene where the Sentinel saves Nova from the fire and they're up on the rooftop and they're talking and stuff. Like, there's such a, like, a who there <laughs> because we know what's really going on and they don't and I'm like. It. <laughs> See, that's what I'm talking about, though. Like, Nova with the Sentinel, she's just, like, she's, like, in her, like, determined, very stubborn kind of mode to the point where she's super worried about Adrian. She doesn't like to show it, but she is. And then she just goes and, like, shoots the Sentinel. <laughs> Which, I mean, <laughs> then, I love, she shoots him, he's like, you shot me. <laughs> that's so rude. Excuse you. <laughs> But I just, I loved it. I loved the, un- oh, the scene where 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 Adrian's like, oh yeah, Nova's like working late at three a.m. at um at headquarters. Maybe she'll be hungry, and so he goes and he gets her sandwiches. Not just one kind. He got her like three kinds of sandwiches because he didn't know which one she'd like. And he's like, oh yeah, I just I get I gotta get all the cup co- all the bases covered. Yeah, and he brought it in to feed her. That's, that's, I want a guy to do that. I, I, I just want anyone to feed me. <laughs> <laughs> that's just, I, like, the, the, the fact that, like, he thought about her, he's like, oh, you know what? She doesn't, she stays up all the time because she doesn't sleep. You know, she, 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 she has to get hungry, right? I like how Adrian tries to convince himself, though, that it's, that he wants to be more than friends. Mm-hmm. Like, he's trying to convince him, oh, yeah, no, this is just, like, a friendly thing. I would do this for anyone. And then Dan was like, excuse me, you have never once done that for me. <laughs> Dan was like, we all know the truth here, Adrian. Stop <laughs> lying to yourself. <laughs> oh, but then, but then, I mean, he ends up dropping the sandwiches. Yeah, which, if it wasn't Adrian, I don't know if I could forgive that. I, I, I 
<laughs> I would be a janitor and he'd drop the sandwiches and he'd run away. I'd go, oh, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and the chips. And the chips. Actually, maybe I'd save the chips for her. Like, I'd leave that. Oh, but take everything else. Yeah. But like, I'm kind of like that. <laughs> but it's also really cute because the reason that he, that Adrian dropped the sandwiches was because he saw that Nova was in quarantine with Max. And he was like, that's bad. And he, he like... He, like, hesitated a little bit, but, I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, this kid can suck out your powers. Yeah. And then, but he, dude ran. He ran. He super sprung inside, and he super sprung out. And he saved her. He saved her life. And it was really cute because, because afterwards, like, he kept, like, holding her and making sure that she was okay. And, like, you, you... It's not like it was focused on. Like, Marissa Meyer just kind of, like, wrote it in. Like, oh, yeah, he just, like, had a hand on her waist, right? Mm -hmm. But the chemistry between them was tangible. Well, I think it's the little things that that... Whoa. I think it's the little things like that that I go, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I think in the relationship, I think Adrian is definitely more of the emotionally available one. Just because he's had more connections in his life. Like, Nova, I think, is definitely a lot more secluded than he is. But I liked, even still, how they still brought out a lot within each other. Like, I think he definitely coaxed her out of her shell. And I think she, with her ideas and her ideals, brought out a lot of things in him. Like, what she believed in really interested him. And he really respected everything that she said and actually thought about it. That's also just, like, such a cute thing for him to do. Because even though he might think differently from Nova... He just had an open mind about it. He didn't, like, immediately shut her down, like, oh, no, that's wrong. And he's a good listener. He's such a good listener. And one of the scenes where they really bond is when they are doing surveillance uh, of the library, and it's just them two up, and they just kind of start talking about themselves and their lives and such, and, and again, crush casual, but it's just... it. The tension is so palpable. Like, you can just feel it. And you know, it's crush cash. Like, it's never in the cash. It's crush cash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The thing with the lot, like, it's, it's the, it's the, what's, what's that word? What's that word? What's the, it's the trope. Um, <laughs> it's the trope of, you know, staying up late with your crush and just, like, having, like, really meaningful, deep talks. You know, the one that everyone wants, but, like, hardly anyone gets. Because we can't stay up that late. Oh, I do, but... No, I don't do. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just cute because, like, you don't really... Nova's not really the type to open up. Yeah. She's very very secretive about her personal life. She doesn't want people to know about her because I would leave her vulnerable. But with Adrian, it's just, like, oozing out. This is me. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, this is you. And the fact, like, he, like, he's really good at drawing. And then she, like, looks through his thing. Then, like, they're talking. And then, <sighs> and then he drew her flowers and he brought it over to her house. He's so chivalrous. Mm. He's like, oh, yeah, I just, like, wanted to meet your uncle. And, you know, like, make sure everything was, like, okay. And, and, he drew, and the flowers were meant to stay alive for a lot longer so that she could think of him every time she saw them. And then she's like, well, what happens if they die? And Adrian's all like... Well, then I'll just come over and draw some more. Which I'm like, kill them now. <laughs> <laughs> just so he can come back. I would absolutely do that. I would absolutely. 
But one of my favorite things, too, was that, like with the library fire scene, is that because the Sentinel knows that it's Nova, but Nova doesn't know Adrian's the Sentinel, the Sentinel's being really sweet toward her, and she's like, what the heck? (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, I'm like, it's because he knows you! It's because he loves you! (laughs) Oh. And then the, the, the date, but not date, where they're supposed to be on a mission, except... It's not actually a mission because the rest of their team members aren't there. And also, like, they keep conveniently playing cute carnival games. And she wins him things because she's a really good (laughs) shot. (laughs) And it's just, and like, the whole birthday party scene where Adrian's just, like, drawing up things for all these kids. And she's, like, sees him. She's, like, oh, yeah, that's what a renegade should be. And you're, like, oh, you hate the renegades, but you love him. (laughs) It's funny because, you know, that scene's really cute. But at the same time, I'm like, get the kids away so they can have some alone time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the, but then it's also so awkward because then Nova's like, is this a date? This isn't a date. This can't be a date. And then Adrian's like, well, it could be a date. She was literally like, is this a date? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Are we more than friends? Question mark. Could this be more than crush casual? Question mark. Do I want this? Yes? Question mark? But then Denator comes in and almost blows them up. She does. She does. And then, oh, but when Adrian, like, thought that Nova got buried and he was super worried. Oh! He basically, like, goes and, like, hugs her, makes makes sure that she's okay. And then he's like, I'm going to be chivalrous now and I'm going to carry you to safety. Really cute. I know. <laughs> he just like picks her up like he's nothing. You know what that means? That means the boy is built. He is strong. <laughs> he will pick you up and he will take care of you. <laughs> what, what, what more could you ask for? Hmm? Literally nothing. No. Those are the only two traits you need. <laughs> but then afterwards, and then like they have like the actual conversation Nova and Adrian do when they're like kind of like separated from everyone else, where it's like. So was this a date? You know, like the the conversation that they were having previously, but got interrupted. And then Adrian's like, "It could be right." And then there's like that tension. And then and then and then Adrian goes in to kiss her, mm-hmm. but Nova freaking runs away. She yeah, literally ran away. She knows she 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 wanted it. You know she oh, did. Oh, I wanted it. Me, yeah, same. I get why she didn't, but at the same time, I'm like, eh, morals, ew. Just kiss him. <laughs> morals, <laughs> standards, please. They get in the way of so many things. Who cares if he's your enemy? He's hot. He's there. You guys just had a great date together. You almost died. <laughs> kiss. <laughs> I was literally like, no, but you get back there. You kiss that boy. You jump right back into his arms and you do it. Well, not it. <laughs> you kiss him. The sex. <laughs> But yeah, overall, I think Renegade set up the romance really well into what it could become. I know what it becomes, but maybe some people don't. Maybe they don't. So, do they get together? Question mark? Is there a great kissing in this next... Question mark? (laughs) Is that with another guy or is that with Adrian? love triangle question mark (laughs) guess you'll have to read to find out Mm -hmm. question (laughs) 
So what did you think about the stakeout slash library scene? Like the stakeout and the fire? Yeah. So the stakeout loved because, you know, we got some Nova and Adrian action. They'd be Nadrian or Adnova. Adrova. Oh, I like that better. I think anything could be better than that. <laughs> and you got a little of um, Oscar Ruby. Oh, yeah. Oscar Ruby action in there. Uh, Rosker or, or Scooby. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Scooby. Um, I think the stakeout scene was really good for just relationship development as well. We get to know some more of the characters like Oscar talked about how it was the fire in his childhood that caused him to have the powers that he does. And Ruby mentioned that when she was a child that robbers came to take the rubies her grandmother kept secret and that she ate them and then that's how she got her powers well she got them because um one of the robbers stabbed her trying to get it out oh i forgot, <laughs> I forgot about that part. <laughs> and then like the crystal can't the traumatic events traumatic there, events. there, there was important uh <laughs> distinction there um and then i liked the fire library scene for many reasons one, I liked the setting of the library and I liked the reason that they were there. They were tracking down Nightmare's gun to try to figure out who she was. Um, I also liked meeting the librarian, aka Gene Cronin, because I liked that he used his library as a front for illegal weapon selling. I It just, that setting, the library, felt really realistic to me. It felt really grounded and so I really liked that scene there because it just felt real and it was something that I felt like I could easily imagine. And I also loved meeting um, Narcissa or Narcissa, uh, who has the ability to go through mirrors. Because I think that's a really cool power. That's so freaking cool. Yeah, that I think that's one of the coolest powers. I, th- I think we forgot about that one in our superhero yeah, one. That the, one's not superpower. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really cool superpower. And I liked uh, just how everything led up to it. How... Nova kind of convinced the others to break the rules a little bit. They go in thinking Detonator's there. Detonator turned out to betray Jean. And so she blows up the library. And then ultimately Sentinel has to save Nova. And which I of course loved the Sentinel (laughs) Nova scene. And I liked that on the rooftop everything kind of comes to a head when... Jean almost accepts the sentinel offer of revealing Nova's true identity for freedom, but then Detonator shoots him before he can do so. I loved the whole library burning scene simply because when you when Adrian, Nova, and their team walk in, you just feel this tension because you can feel that like Nova's really nervous because she knows that she, nothing can go wrong. And they're like right there from the start. There's kind of this tension of, oh, she could be revealed as nightmare. You know that that tension just kind of like starts there, and it just starts like building up and building up and building up. And then there's that like tension of her being revealed, but then it's also like Adrian's thing, where he could be revealed as the Sentinel. You know, you have like it's a very tense-filled scene just for like revelation you know for all the characters for all the characters and just i think it's also a great scene between uh for the dynamic between nova and the detonator between nova and ingrid because 
Ingrid's kind of like a loose cannon. She's very reckless. And I feel like this scene further cements the idea of individualism in the anarchists, you know? Detonator kind of just went off her on her own, not really following the plan. She got sick of waiting. Mm-hmm. Which isn't something you do when you want to be successful. So, like, I question her methods. I do question. To be fair, though, it's been, like, ten long years of doing this, though. And you can understand why. I still question her, though. <laughs> but just, like, the, everything building up, like, it was built up beautifully. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a very action-packed, very telling, very develop-making scene, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, everything... I think it was definitely a really good midpoint scene in the book where everything that we had been questioning, all the worries we've been having for Nova, for Adrian again, with their aliases being found out, with um, Detonator kind of... This is kind of the scene where she becomes a villain to Nova. You know, she's been an anarchist in Nova's life this entire time, but this is the point where Nova realizes that Ingrid's no longer really on her side. Yeah, she took care of the librarian, but at the same time... She has no intention of really falling in line again. And so I think it's not only a really good scene just to wrap up everything that's already happened, but I think it's a really good scene to open up the ending. Yes. It was also just great for the suspense. Mm-hmm. Like, where's Adrian? Why is he he's still in there? And like the whole thing with like their alter egos, not just being revealed, but just the interactions between Nova and the Sentinel. But also you got to see um, some of the other characters, like Oscar and Ruby, who were, like, really worried for Adrian. So, like, you saw their connection. You saw Captain Chromium, like, desperately trying to find Adrian throughout the, through the rubble and everything. So it's just, overall, I think it's just a scene just filled with a bunch of things necessary for the story. I also loved how... Adrian, realizing that everyone's looking for him, decides to go back down into the library rubble where everyone's searching for him, take off his suit, and then draw a snow globe. I think it was an igloo. Oh, wasn't it an igloo? I think so. Oh, sorry, it was an igloo, not a snow globe. The snow globe would have been funny, though. <laughs> and he's like, hey guys, I'm good. <laughs> I'm in my igloo. <laughs> it's kind of like um, one of those near-miss scenes. Where everything is so close to hitting against each other. You go, ah! But then you're like, whew, we're good. It's like the, the suspense just like builds up and then release. And then, oh, 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 oh. Igloo. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I think one of the most unexpectedly tense moments in the book was when the renegades went to interrogate Winston about Nightmare's identity and Nova's in the room and she's freaking out because she goes, well, of course Winston knows I'm Nightmare. And then Winston's confused because they're like, who's, who's Nightmare? And he's like, uh, uh. The girl, like, uh, right there. She could be with us in this very room. I feel her presence. (laughs) (laughs) I, it was just like such a tense, filled, just tension. You know, the suspense, the ooh feeling, right? Because <laughs> when Nova hears that her team's going to be the one to interrogate Winston, she goes up to Adrian. She's like, you know, I don't think I should be there. And then Adrian's <laughs> like, what? Are you scared? And like Nova's just like internally like, you freaking wish. No. <laughs> and then they actually, you know, end up 
going to Winston and they're just asking all these, Adrian's just asking all these questions about Nightmare and Noah's just like standing there just desperately, desperately trying not to like show anything and like trying to like telepathically tell Winston, you better shut up. (laughs) And also too, I think in that scene, she kind of begins to see Adrian's commitment to finding Nightmare because before he kind of mentions that he wants to find her, but then he's like, hey, who is Nightmare? You got to tell me right now, you know? And I also kind of think the scene is funny simply because of Winston's reactions, because I feel like I could just imagine it so perfectly how he's like, hmm, who is, who is Nightmare? Hmm. Uh, it's a real toughie, guys. What's Nightmare's real name? It's no one. <laughs> it's none your business. <laughs> it's just... Like he's, it's just very comical because of his reactions, but it was also, it was also kind of sad at the ending. Yeah. Because Winston starts talking about like how he was friends with Nightmare when they were kids, because you know, she, well, when she was a kid, because you know she came and like he would like make shadow puppets for her in the night because she wasn't able to sleep. The the scene, the reason why that scene is so sad, especially for me, is because at the beginning of the book. Nova, in order to escape from the parade, throws Winston out of his own hot air balloon. And that's the reason why he's kidnapped. Well, taken into um, Renegade's headquarters and everything. And so the fact that, like, he has absolutely no reason to keep her secret, and yet he still does, makes the scene that much more heartbreaking. I know. And I feel like Winston deserves so much more love from Nova. I mean, I I get if, you know, it doesn't matter who raised you if you don't have that connection with them, you don't. But at the same time, you know, like you said, he's protecting her in this moment when he doesn't have to. And even though she may not feel that bond they had, he does, you know, and he, he practically raised her. And, and so, yeah, that part was sad. It was like, Winston! <laughs> And, like, Nova's, like, she's totally expecting that to happen. Like, mm-hmm. she's totally expecting Winston to reveal her as Nightmare. Well, and the and the anarchists totally have that every man for himself sort of thing. It actually doesn't really make a lot of sense to their own morals that Winston doesn't say that she's Nightmare. You feel the tension, especially since Winston does hide, like, kernels of the truth within, like, his answers. And so you're like, oh, that's true, but that's not. So, like, as a reader, you just get really excited because... You see just this situation that the protagonist has been placed in that just seems impossible, but she's like narrowly escapes it. I think one of the things Marissa Meyer does best is that she has these really charged up scenes because there's information that the reader knows that all the characters present don't. And I think that's so powerful and I think that's what makes it so good is that we, of course, know that Nova's Nightmare Adrian doesn't know that, but Winston does. It's just all these variables that I think she's so masterfully interwound together that just makes her a really good scene. And the fact that, like, Winston kept, like, trying... He kept staring at Nova, but trying not to. And you're like, oh, oh, they're gonna notice! They're gonna notice! But then they didn't, and then you're like... It's just, like, the little moments that she wove into that scene... She she does she just does it beautifully. Meyer just did it beautifully. It just feels so effortless. Mm-hmm. I think even later though, doesn't Adrian go? Why does he, why did he keep looking at Nova? Like he questioned it, but he didn't like think about it for too long. Well, because I mean, if you didn't know anything, there wouldn't really be anything to pursue in that. But at the same time, I'm like he keeps looking at her because he knows what's going on. Like a part of me is like, is Adrian jealous? 
Is, is this what this is? Hi, Jen. You just, you, you're just like, what? Is there a connection there? <laughs> no, it's just lies. <laughs> it's just deception. <laughs> yeah, for, we, we obviously don't get a lot of scenes with Winston in this book. But, and Kami can attest to this because I texted her about it. But when I first read it, I was like, I just really love Winston. And I don't know, there's just something so pure about him. Even though he controls children. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. There's just something to him that was really, just really innocent, almost. I feel like out of all of the anarchists, Winston probably has, like, the most evil power. Evil, air quoted. And so for him to be, like, the most... I would say, like, innocent or pure or any of naive, maybe. Mm-hmm. Just, it, 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 it just touches your heart. And you're like... Because hmm. he himself is very childlike. Mm-hmm. Like, he kind of has very, like, childlike mannerisms and countenance and stuff. I don't know. There's just something about him where I'm like, I will protect him from anything that could happen to him. You just feel so... You feel for him. You feel for Winston. Yeah. So the ending, in my opinion, was a really great ending for the book because it sets so much up for the sequel. And it also just gives such a, like, a comic book kind of feel, the, uh, the comic book kind of ending, you know? Like, you have your scenes, your action-packed scenes with the detonator and Nova and their whole plan of, well, what if we faked our death so that people don't try to find us anymore? But that ends up going south. And the detonator's like, no, I'm not actually going to do that. I'm going to kill everyone in this park, including this little dude called Adrian. (laughs) (laughs) That guy over there. (laughs) And I'm going to, I'm going to devastate the council because he's a beloved person to them and all of that, you know? And then you have the aftermath of that and then the true ending where there is a reveal. But for now... Tay, what did you think about the scene between the detonator and Nova and Adrian? I think, like you said, if you like comic books, I feel like this would be very satisfying. I feel like it definitely had, you know, kind of like X-Men vibes, I would say, where you just have the collision of three really cool characters. You know, you obviously have Adrian, Nova, and then detonator. I liked, though how personal it felt because it was the detonator with Nova because obviously Nova has grown up with these people the her entire life and she's known Ingrid for 10 years and so going into that I think that added a lot of emotional importance and even more well not hype but even more like oh that Ingrid decides to betray Nova in the end and tries to kill her in this entire park full of people And in this battle, the theme of Nova not really being able to commit herself to pull the trigger was finally concluded. When she needed to, she was able to kill the detonator. This scene was kind of prefaced by the library scene where Nova and detonator make a plan, but the detonator kind of goes off in her own way. And the same thing happens at the theme park because... Denner's like, no, I'm going to kill all these people and I'm going to kill Adrian's to devastate the council. And then Noah's like, that's so stupid because you're not actually going to kill the council. You're not going to take down the renegades as a whole. You're just, you're just doing this out of your own revenge. 
And so they end up act legitimately fighting instead of just pretend fighting like they're supposed to. And then Detonator goes to hurt Adrian, in which case Nova was finally able to pull the trigger, like you said. The only time she's been able to do it, and it was when Adrian was in danger. Which, hoo-hoo. I also just really like the scene because you have to see Nova go between being her and being Nightmare. You know, and then when she, when she as Nightmare gets thrown by the detonation set by a detonator, she comes back as Nova and it's just like that whole thing too. You see like, oh, what if Adrian sees kind of thing. Yeah, that danger of, ooh, her alias could finally be found out. Mm-hmm. Also to, and I think you touched on this a little bit, but detonator thinks that by doing this that she's going to cause just this huge dent in the renegades but what detonator fails to realize is just how big the renegades are and just actually how ineffective this will be she's not really going to achieve or winning win anything by doing this nova kind of has the bigger picture in mind she has the long game going for her but detonator just got too impatient with time she just wants to cause as much hurt as she can which is the opposite, I think, of what Nova believes. It's not about causing hurt. It's not about creating destruction. It's about trying to rebuild a society and make sure that the people in it are safe and free. And the fact that they, like, they started to disagree about that during their fake fighting also just made it that much more suspenseful because you weren't sure, like, where the fake fighting stopped and where the real fighting started. So building up to the ending, you see Nova mentioning Ace Anarchy, just kind of like in passing, like, oh, Ace wouldn't have wanted this, or this is what he wasn't really like, et cetera, et cetera. But you also see the anarchists in the subway tunnels, and they're kind of like miserable there. And it's, you don't really like think about it until this mo- until the very end, though. And then throughout the, two, throughout the book, you just kind of like hear things like, oh, yeah, the anarchists are in the tunnels. They don't like it there. But we stay there. Like, I remember Winston, during the Winston interrogation scene, they ask about the tunnels, and then Winston's like, no, they would never leave the tunnels. Mm-hmm. Right? The tunnels are being mentioned over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so you're wondering, why don't the anarchists leave? If they hate it so much, why don't they just leave? Like, what is keeping them there? And so at the very, very end, you see Nova going back to the tunnels, and she sees this poster. You know, she's going towards this poster, which goes to this tunnel into this tomb-like room where you see Ace Anarchy levitating. And he's basically like, hello, my little nightmare. Which I'm like, ding dong, the witch was not dead! (laughs) (laughs) So at the very end, you basically just find out that Ace Anarchy didn't die. He's been alive this whole time. And the reason why the anarchists are where they are is because that's where Ace is. And they want to stay with him. They want to stay with him and they want to keep his secret. Not gonna lie. I I didn't really think Ace was dead the whole time. I mean, I was like, no body, just a fake helmet. He's not dead. I was like, I, he's not. He's not. <laughs> no body, no death. <laughs> no body, no death. Sometimes even there is a body, there is still no death. <laughs> um... So the ending wasn't necessarily a surprise to me, but the way that Marissa Meyer wrote it, I was still, it still made me happy, the ending did. So even though I expected it, 
I, it still had that nice shock factor, like, oh, he is alive. I'm like, I knew that, but he is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice to have it confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> now I know I'm just not making up things that it's actually here and it's happening. And, and I think you mentioned this in the recommendation, but I, that's what Marissa Meyer does is that even if you do have an inkling as to where something is going to go or how something ends, she still makes you excited to see it play it out. Even if she does foreshadow something and you, like you said, you figure it out along the way, she still makes you interested in what's going to happen. Yeah, it's because in some movies I'm like, ah, I can always tell the ending. I'm not really into this. But even though I'm like, ah, I bet Ace is alive. I was like, ooh, but I still want to see what happens. Mm -hmm. I'm eager. I want to see that the witch is not dead. Ding dong. (laughs) Ding dong. Overall, though, what did what did you think about the book as a whole? I think Renegades as a whole is a really strong first book in a series. I think it did a lot of things. I think it set up its character so nicely. I think it had a really good, interesting world. And I think that Marissa Meyer's voice very much made the story what it is. Very much, she created this entirely different universe to me. I I would want this to be a comic book series. I would want this to be a comic book movie. I love to how specific she got about things. And I think I mentioned this in the recommendation, but like she she talks about a bunch of different people in this world and their placement and their importance. And she talks about a lot of different landmarks and she talks a lot about a lot of different historical things. And, and all of that layered up just makes the story feel really real. And when you're reading it, you really feel encompassed in it. Like when you set it down and you read that Ace Anarchy is alive, you instantly have to go, okay, I have to see where all this plays out. I have to know if Adrian and Elva ever figure out each other's aliases. I have to see if the cast of the cast. I have to see what Ace Anarchy is doing. You know, I think I'm not often excited by many superhero themes these days, just because again, there's so much superhero stuff, but I was really excited about this book. I completely agree. When I first heard about this book, I was like, Oh, superheroes in a YA novel. That's not, that's original, right? I was very skeptical, but then I actually read it and I really loved the way that the twists that Marissa Meyer gave it. Like it still had that YA feel, but she did it in her own way. But though with a comic book feel, I really loved that she did like the, um, like Captain Chromium, like the CC, right? Like you, you see that a lot in in comic books so like I'm really glad that like she did that a lot with her with her with her names but also I do agree this is a very good first book in a series because it does set a lot of things up but it's also still action-packed it's still suspenseful it's still you still see like the hints of the romance and while all that is being set up you're still really interested in what's happening in the first book you're not just interested in what's going to happen later like you're just you're in the story the whole way through. And even though it's a bigger book, it doesn't feel tiring. Like, it doesn't feel bogged down with thoughts or description. It doesn't feel drawn out or slow. I think the pace is always... It, it keeps flowing. And I think that the characters always are always kept in mind, too. You know, Nova is always determined. She's sticking to her goals. Like, everyone is very consistent and they are naturally growing. It's not like their arc is being forced on them. It's not like they're completely changing. 
but they're progressing as both people, as superheroes, as protagonists. You know, I just think that this book was really awesome and and it didn't feel like it was setting up a big world, if that makes sense. Like it didn't feel like I was having to just take in everything at once. Like, oh my goodness, this is so much. No, I felt like it was very well done. It was very well done. It was the first time in a while that I actually got a little bit excited about what was going to happen next in a series. Yeah, I can even can attest that I got very excited. <laughs> <laughs> it was one that you, I, I definitely think this is a book that you're going to, you will devour. Yeah. Because I started this book, I think at 1 a.m. <laughs> I think I finished that at 4. <laughs> I, I was just into it. You know, I, there was just something about, there's just something about Renegades that just feels fun and adventurous and imaginative. It's not being weighed down by like, oh, we have to have a steamy romance or, oh, we have to, you know, have this happen. You know, like, it's just, I just feel like it's a very steady read. I think it definitely stands out, um, in terms of YA these days. Yeah. It's, it's very... It's different enough from other YA series and books that it it kind of makes it love it makes it more lovable. Yeah, and I think you know there's a few things I like few ways I can tell if I really like a book. One of them is just how much it stands out in my mind. Obvious, and you know this is kind of a no brainer. Like if it kind of fades away from my thought, or like if I don't think about it a lot, or if I just kind of go, oh okay, that was a bad book, and I kind of like just. It, it just goes out of my mental range. And I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't really like it. But Renegades has definitely stuck in there. And I think it's one I'd happily reread again and again. It's definitely one that you could reread. Particularly book two. Oh, book two. Book two. <laughs> now I just want to talk about I know. Thank you all so much for joining us in today's in-depth discussion about Renegades by Marissa Meyer. We hope that you will join us in our upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed our content, don't be afraid to subscribe to the series and follow us on social media. On both Twitter and Instagram, we go by the handle at Kiwi and the Bird. And remember, like a library, at Kiwi and the Bird, shh, happens. If you made it this far, get ready for some bloopers. Bloop, 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 bloop. No. <laughs> Sideburns are so bad. It's like, like, it's a crime against humanity to make us look at them. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> Can any guy grow sideburns or is it genetic? Like, do all guys have to actively shave sideburns or something? Do you want to call a guy and ask? I thought you were going to say an ass. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's, okay, let's Google. Because everyone we know is dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all so much for joining No. (laughs) You got this. Okay. The bowl is on. You got this. The bowl. Has a best friend. Yeah, isn't Hamlet best friend? Horatio. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's the show. Yeah. (laughs) Horatio. Horatio.
I've had to look up the name of the skull in Hamlet so many freaking times. It's Yulric. Oh, okay. I've literally <laughs> looked it up like 10 times, though. And, and for random reasons. You can't just have a romp in the hay without the barn. What? <laughs> it makes sense if you think about it. But you can have hay outside the barn. But that's in a pasture. Literally kills me. Mm-hmm. I'm dead right now. R.I.P. me. Kami is literally communicating to me right now through a Ouija board. I don't know why this is signifying the afterlife. (laughs) It's because you can't really hear us. It's from the beyond. Oh, we'd be the freaking worst ghosts. (laughs) If we were haunting someone's house. Really, they'd hear like beats and stuff at night. It's just because I'm tripping everywhere. (laughs) Like, what, what? You're a ghost. You can walk through walls. Yeah, well. <laughs> so you, what? <laughs> you try being a ghost. It ain't that easy. They're like, yeah, for some reason, this poltergeist, they keep turning Netflix on at like 3 a.m. every night. <laughs> she has, you know, these glitzy ga- gla- She has these glitzy gla- <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm eyebrow raising. You can't see it, but it's happening. <laughs> Though you can't say that. Remember that? Remember when um, Austin from Olive Garden was flirting with you? He was flirting with you, no, he wasn't. I made a stupid joke about ordering water for soup. <laughs> I just think it's funny because I don't typically get scared in haunted houses. Like, maybe, like, a jump scare will get me if I, like, I'm really, like, not seeing him. But, like, other people, man, they get, like, real oh scared. I'm like, everyone <laughs> chill. Okay? Okay. His name is Fred. <laughs> <laughs> That's Dave. Okay, he's just trying to get through college. I, <laughs> I know when I'm always surprised when people scream. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm like, but why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a guy got electrocuted in a chair. So <laughs> what? <laughs> so what? The hanging man is moving. <laughs> we got to the very top, and you know it's a tall building. It's a tall building, and they have like that uh walkway that's see-through so you can see how high up you are oh yeah that's probably the scariest part we went across it and he goes um by the way i'm really scared (laughs) i go you couldn't have mentioned that when we were ascending he waited until we were at the top and i'm like you're six two (laughs) you are a height (laughs) Ooh, he looks like he'd get mad at you for wearing socks Oh. <laughs> oh, I probably have. I'm probably not gonna do nightmares anymore, just cause I do, I love sleeping. It's like being dead without the commitment. You know what? I want to be a waterbender. I'm gonna do tsunami. <laughs> tsunami. There's a school. Yeah. <laughs> the toilet flushing would be crazy. 